I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I don't no, know you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an illegal no. thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble. And I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who's who we have tonight? Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. The internet, social media, dating and rideshare apps all make life so convenient and fun. Swiping to meet up with someone new has become part of our daily lives. It's also how many unsuspecting people have ended up dead. I'm Courtney Bell. And I'm Jillian Lee Garner, and we're the co-hosts of the true crime podcast, I Met My Murderer Online. In each episode, we share a true story of one such deadly online connection and hopefully how you can avoid it. We hear from all who were involved in the case. The investigators. They discovered a victim inside the house. Victims, family members. Right now, it doesn't feel like life can ever be joyful again. And sometimes, even the murderer themselves. You have to decide, okay, what are you willing to do here? Are you willing to kill these people? If you're a fan of true crime, then you have to listen to season two of I Met My Murderer online. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the hundreds of predators I've caught, there have only been a handful who have taken their cases all the way through the criminal justice system and have been found not guilty. And in many of those cases, the trial was postponed, a plea deal was agreed to, but then dissolved for one reason or another. But there are some, in just a very few, that have gone to trial, either in front of a judge or a jury, and those cases have been either dismissed or they've been pleaded down to a misdemeanor. Or, in the case of Thomas Moffat, the predator was found not guilty by a jury. Now, it's interesting because today I think of Thomas Moffat walked into a stinghouse because of the changes in the laws across our country having to do with 
adults preying on children online, I don't think Thomas Moffat would have gotten away with it today. Thomas Moffat surfaced in our predator investigation in Fort Myers, Florida, which we conducted in April 2006. He was 44 years old at the time. And Moffat traveled two hours, late at night, I mean really late, from where he worked on the east coast of Florida. He was a maintenance engineer at a resort in Boca Raton, Florida. He lived near Hollywood, Florida. And he drives all the way across the state, two hours, to meet who he thinks is a 15-year-old girl named Tony Boboni. That's her online name. LOL, Tony Boboni, 15. And Tony Boboni was really a volunteer with the online watchdog group Perverted Justice, as you may know or have guessed by now. And there was a sexually explicit chat And there was recognition that the girl was underage. That Thomas Moffat could get into trouble for this. He went by the screen name Moth 1960, the year of his birth. So the chat, as I mentioned, was sexually graphic. There was talk of him giving the girl her first orgasm. He asked about the size of her breasts. He wanted to talk about the different sorts of positions and sex acts he would have with the girl. And it went a bit further. Moffat actually got a little testy with the decoy posing as the 15-year-old girl. He didn't feel she was giving him his props, proper respect, saying at one point, I'm trying to hit on you and you're laughing at me. LOL, Tony Boboni says, no, I'm not. Moth 1960, okay, good. Am I freaking you out? The decoy says, why would you freak me out? Moffat says, because I am 44 and I'm hitting on you. There it is. Because I am 44 and I'm hitting on you. Plain as day. And then he says, So would you ever fool around with an older guy like me? Would you ever fool around with an older guy like me? Now remember all this. Later in this episode when I tell you about what happened and why. In terms of the criminal charges against Thomas Moffat. Not only was the evidence pretty clear all the way through the transcripts, not only did he show up at the house, even his own family members, and I'll get into details on this, were concerned about Moffat being with his own children while the case was pending. And I have details on that. Once they actually set up a date to meet at the girl's house. Now, remember in Fort Myers, it was this big 
almost mansion in a beautiful neighborhood right along the water, the intracoastal. Fort Myers is on the west coast of Florida. And he says, okay, how about after I come in, I'll strip, strip. Now we had seen this during an early episode of To Catch a Predator in Herndon, Virginia, and in this very episode in Fort Myers, we had a fellow strip and walk in. Marvin, you're naked. Remember that? I'll never forget it. Tony Baboni says, for reals? Sure, if you want me to, he says. You're kidding me. Nope. You can take your clothes off in the laundry room if you want to. So now we're thinking, all of us on the To Catch a Predator team, that we may have two naked guys show up in the same investigation. And it was Moth 1960, the apparent predator himself at this point, who raises the specter of walking in naked on a 15-year-old girl. Can you imagine if you had a daughter who was 15, home alone, and this 44-year-old walks in, he's got alcohol, condoms, a camera. What do you think is going to happen if there really is a teenage girl and it's not the Ford Myers police and my team? I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen, and I think you are too. So the chat continues, and there we are in the Stinghouse, waiting for Thomas Moffat, this maintenance engineer at this ritzy resort in Boca Raton to drive all the way across the state, two plus hours. And he gets there at right around four o'clock in the morning. It's a long day when we do these predator investigations. In fact, as I speak to you now, I am in the middle of a sting operation where we have just worked until 2 a.m. I can't tell you where or when, because when this episode comes out, we'll not have released those episodes yet. And the only reason I speak about it is because we'll be finished with the investigation. But if I sound a little raspy, it's because, well, I was on a sting operation until 2 a.m. Moffat shows up. Now, in most of the cases in Fort Myers, and we had 24 men surface in this investigation, 24 the guys actually came in, parked on the street or in the driveway. We had a camera up in a palm tree and we could watch them. We had cameras all over the place, just like we do today. But Moffat doesn't come in. He's nervous. And this very tense and very bizarre scene plays out. And you're going to hear it in just a minute here. Outside of the house, he drives right up close to the side entrance of the house. So that's where we had all the predators walk in. But he's rangy, cagey, nervous. He even asks the on-site decoy, posing as the girl, to get him some ID to prove she is who she said she was and that she was only 15. Now, you'll hear 
that one of the reasons Thomas Moffat was so anxious is because the decoy he was talking to on the phone in the ramp up to this predator arrest was different than the girl who we had on site as the decoy. So there was a difference in the voice and he picked up on this. Also, the picture used by the perverted justice decoy who was doing the online chat looked different than the young woman who was the on-site decoy. So we had some issues. Now, normally, these guys are so hungry for what they want to consummate this fantasy sex meeting with a teenage boy or girl that they'll, they'll overlook some of this, but this was going to be a tough sell, and we knew it. But one thing I think you'll find clear is that Moffat truly intended to have sex with this girl. I mean, why do you bring alcohol? Why do you bring condoms? The conversation speaks for itself. In most states today, Moffat would have violated the law just with that conversation. In fact, in Florida today, I believe that would be the case. It's not uncommon for potential predators to appear hesitant about walking in the door. He's trying to wave her out to the street, no way. That was Frag of Perverted Justice. He's watching from a control room. And we're all downstairs. Myself, Ronnie Knight, the crew, the decoy. Dell is there too, helping the onside decoy through all of this. And we see Thomas Moffat pull up, as you heard Frag say. And he's waving the girl, the onside decoy, who stepped out of the house into the driveway towards him. He wants her to get in the car. God, that's creepy. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. When that doesn't work out for Moffat, he pulls forward into the driveway. There's a, an archway that he pulls through. But we've never seen anyone like this man. He's bringing his car all the way back, guys. He pulls in around back and starts asking the decoy, our actress playing a young teen, to come outside. No. So he's actually in the car close to the house. The decoy, Emily, is standing in the doorway, essentially. She went outside to wave him in and went back in for her safety. And now he wants her to come out and get in the car. She says no. Now remember, Thomas Moffat is married and has three children. You come here. It's almost four o'clock in the morning when 44-year-old Thomas Moffat, screen name Moff1960, pulls up to our house. He's a maintenance engineer for the Boca Raton Resort, a married man with three children. He drove more than two hours to meet a girl named Tony who said she was 15. Really, it's a decoy from perverted justice. He finally gets out of his car, but won't come any closer than the back step. Finally, Moffat gets out of his car, and he casually saunters up to the door. And this is where, and we see this all the time, there's this dance, a dramatic 
back and forth. Typically, they come in. Will Thomas? Let's see. You said you were going to do something for me in the laundry room. Were you lying to me? Mm-mm. He wasn't lying. The decoy asks if he's going to back out. Are you going to back out on me? Because that's what I feel like you're going to do now. Cautious. He denies he's going to back out on the girl. Says he's just being cautious. And this is where you can see that Moffat senses there's something different between the girl in the house, perhaps, and the girl he's been chatting with online and on the phone. Can you come here, please? I'm right here. Please? Can you come here, please? I'm right here. Please? He's sounding a bit desperate. He wants this, but he doesn't want to go to jail. In fact, something is different. Our actress is not actually the decoy who sent Moff 1960 a photograph of herself and spoke to him on the phone. That was a member of Perverted Justice. You haven't acted this way when we've talked before. You never acted this way when we've talked before. Now, here's the strange thing about Thomas Moffat. You can tell he's anxious, nervous, doesn't want to get caught. But he doesn't seem nervous about actually having sex with a teenage kid. He's calm. He formulates his sentences in a coherent way. He's articulate. And this, to me, always indicates a higher level of danger from a predator because he's, he's wily. He's not some dope. Oh, really? Well, talking in person is a little different than talking online. The decoy impressively handles it the best she can saying, you know, talking to somebody in person is different than online. But he's not buying it. And you don't sound the same on, in person as you did on the phone. Well. Oh, your picture looks different, too. What a strange conversation. I remember it vividly. I mean, this is like 17 years ago. And as if we needed anything else to show intent here, he asks for proof that this girl is who she says she is. And I talked about this earlier. He's suspicious because she looks different. And that happens online, of course. He's suspicious because she sounds different. Plausible, I suppose. He's suspicious because the tone of their conversation is a bit different. Yet he wants to have sex with a child so badly he's going to hang in there. What does he ask for? Listen to this. He wants the girl to go get her library card. Right? She's too young to drive. I suppose she could have a student ID. But in his mind, if this girl can go into her bedroom and pick through her pocketbook or backpack or tchotchke box on her little petite desk that girls have, if she can do all that and find this library card and give it to him, that would be proof. That would satisfy him enough to perhaps walk inside this house and have sex with this girl. Or, and we were worried about this, was it a trick? I mean, we don't know everything about Thomas Moffat. We didn't see a criminal history. 
There was no talk of bringing a weapon, but we don't know. We can't let this on-site decoy get close enough to this guy to hand him a library card. And how are we going to come up with a library card at four o'clock in the morning in our stinghouse in Fort Myers? So it plays out. At one point, he tells her to show him proof that she is who she says she is. Get your library card. Get your library card. And when you think about the fact that Thomas Moffat has three kids of his own, it sounds to me at least like he's talking to this girl with whom he wants to have sex. Sexual assault. He's talking to her like he's her father. Get your library card. If what you've heard shocks you so far, join us back in a moment. And as he waits for that, he paces around the house. He looks into the windows, trying to figure out if anybody's there. Now, in this particular investigation, the Fort Myers police were set up in a guest house situation. There was a garage in the backyard that had an apartment. And so they were staged there. And they also had police officers undercover in the neighborhood. So there was no way Thomas Moffat was going to get out of here. And they're watching everything, too. They weren't going to let this get out of control. What does Thomas Moffat do next? Without a library card, his plan B, apparently, is try to get this girl into his car to go to Walgreens, the drugstore. He's already got condoms and booze. We're not sure what he would need from Walgreens, but that was his ruse. He paces outside, peeking in the window. When the decoy comes back without her library card, he tries to convince her to get in his car and go to Walgreens. Where's the Walgreens at? This is ridiculous. I'm going to bed. Finally, after, I guess, about 20 minutes, we're out of options. We couldn't do what Thomas Moffat wanted us to do or wanted the decoy to do. And Emily, the onside decoy, properly says, okay, I'm tired. I'm not gonna do this anymore. And we've gotten to this point before and we continue to see this in the current investigations on True Blue. But sometimes when the decoy just backs off and says, okay, fine, whatever, we'll see the alleged predator think about it for a while and come back. Sometimes they come back the next day or later in the investigation a few days later. But Moffat turns to leave. Oh, but he won't get far. As we told you earlier, Fort Myers police officers are staked out in the guest house. So as the man tries to get in his car, get out, get down. he's arrested. He says, I didn't do anything. In his mind, meaning he didn't go in and have sex. He didn't sexually assault a teenage girl. So he didn't do anything. They arrested him and took Thomas Moffat to jail. Now, I would have really liked to talk to Thomas Moffat. I think that would have been a compelling interview. 
Now, you can never know these things for certain, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that had he come in the house, had he taken a seat, he would have been arrogant, he would have debated the merits of the case against him and tried to argue his way out of it. But I didn't get that chance. He was taken away. Thomas Moffat's case was not resolved quickly. It was literally in the court system for a couple of years, almost. He was released on $40,000 bond. He was charged with attempted lewd and lascivious behavior with a child. He got a lawyer and he fought this case. And in the meantime, while he was out on bond, he went back to his home on the east coast of Florida and resumed his life with his wife and three children. Now, in some of these cases, you see family members, spouses, even children stand by their man even though he's been accused of something horrible like this, even though he's been caught on camera, even though there are transcripts indicating that he did this. And I've not spoken to his then wife, nor have I spoken to his children. But I did find a document, a letter written by Thomas Moffat's mother-in-law to the court expressing immense frustration that this case was dragging on so long and that during the pendency of all this, this guy's living with her grandchildren and her daughter. This is the actual letter written by the mother-in-law regarding the state of Florida versus Moffitt. Dear Judge, my name is Marsha. I'll leave her last name out of it. I'm the grandmother of the children. She names them in the letter. Their father is Thomas Samuel Moffat, the defendant in State of Florida versus Moffat. Tom was arrested on April 22, 2006 for attempting to engage in lewd conduct with a minor after conversing online with a girl he believed to be underage, but who was actually an undercover officer. She wasn't an officer, but that's what the letter says. His actions were recorded and aired on the television program To Catch a Predator on NBC. He was charged with attempted lewd, lascivious battery and computer pornography on May 10, 2006. His trial has been postponed now for 21 months. It has been set for docket sounding and continued at least 10 times now. Apparently, during the course of this, he changed lawyers. I am writing to respectfully request that you set this case for trial. The last two years have been extremely traumatic for my family. Even though Tom was charged and his actions were caught on camera, he's been allowed to live with my three grandchildren, including my minor granddaughter, for almost two years now. Every time we think this terrible incident will reach closure, the case is continued and all the stress and waiting and concern starts all over again. Can you imagine being the mother-in-law in this case? I cannot understand why a man who was caught on camera trying to engage in lewd conduct with a minor child has been allowed to live with my minor grandchildren for two years now. 
while awaiting trial. Please set this case for trial so that we can have closure and my grandchildren and my family can move on with their lives. She signs her name. What does that tell you? So ultimately, the case goes to trial. Jury trial. And as I've said, in most of these cases, the jury doesn't have a lot of sympathy for somebody who tries to do this. For somebody who's caught in the act, essentially. But Ford Myers was a different situation for some of these defendants because some of the defense lawyers wanted the hard drive from the computers used by perverted justice volunteers. And there was a subpoena for those hard drives for the material on them for the actual chats. Now, I've looked at this pretty closely and as far as I can tell, there was nothing nefarious, nothing suspicious, nothing exculpatory. I mean, the chats are the chats, right? We get them, law enforcement gets them, they show up. But there was an issue with getting the actual computer hard drives. And when challenged, the head of perverted justice, Xavier Van Erk, said that they had been destroyed or they no longer existed. I forget the exact excuse, but they weren't there. And in two or three of the cases, that was used by defense lawyers to get their clients off the hook. But in this case, with Thomas Moffat, the case went all the way to trial. And there was a provision in the law regarding attempted lewd and lascivious conduct with a minor, where if the defendant has a change of heart, a change of mind, and decides not to go through with it, there is a provision that a jury or judge could find him not guilty. So this turns on whether or not he actually was going to consummate the sex act. It's a question of fact for a jury, beyond a reasonable doubt. And the jury, in spite of the fact that this guy had a sexually charged conversation with somebody posing as a teenage girl, in spite of the fact that he drove two hours at any point he could have turned around, in spite of the fact that he had condoms and alcohol, his intent was pretty clear. Under that particular statute with which he was charged, the jury, the jury found him not guilty. Thomas Moffat walked. More of our story in a moment. As far as we can tell, Thomas Moffat never got into trouble with the law again. He might have moved out to Texas for a bit, might still be there. I reached out to him. I believe I got his voicemail. I left a message. My gut tells me that Thomas isn't going to talk to me. But I think his case highlights the need for changes in the law then and it certainly highlights one of the very few who might have gotten away if thomas decides to speak with me i'll let you know you'll hear about it right here
And as you know, I always like to hear from you. And this week's question comes to us all the way from Norway and Magnus. Hello, Chris. Magnus from Norway here. I really love the podcast, and I have a question for you. Has there ever been a predator who almost got away from the police? And if so, how long were they on the run? That's all I wanted to know. Thank you. Well, Magnus, I think that question is particularly appropriate since this episode talked about one who got away. But I think what you're more specifically referring to is someone who ran away from the sting or somebody who committed to show up and have sex with a child online but never did show up and was in the wind. Nobody has actually showed up at the sting and successfully evaded arrest. That's never happened. Now, if you recall the very first two episodes, we did not have a law enforcement presence. So many of those guys, especially in the first investigation, where we had 17 men surface, only one of them, the firefighter, Ryan Hogan, faced criminal charges. So those guys did get away. In the second investigation, the Fairfax, Virginia police and the FBI picked up a lot of those cases. So at least half, if not more, of those guys were criminally prosecuted. After that, we collaborated with law enforcement. But nobody has ever arrived at the Sting House, seen me or seen the police, and successfully evaded arrest. Now, I can tell you there have been Stings, and as you know, for True Blue, we embed with different law enforcement agencies around the country for these Stings. There have been cases where guys have had graphic criminal conversations with decoys and for whatever reason they've not come to the house the sting location and so they may have evaded one sting or two stings but we have had cases where a guy shows up in the third sting in the same area in a chat room and does show up and more and more law enforcement agencies around the country will go out and get these guys if there's a particularly graphic chat that shows intent, that shows solicitation of a minor online. Most jurisdictions have a law against that. And law enforcement will go out and get these guys, arrest them, and they will face consequences. Not always prison, but many times they will have to register as a sex offender. They will have to be on probation. And in some cases, that's enough. That to me and that to law enforcement represents justice. As always, you can find me all over social media, official Chris Hansen on Instagram, at Chris Hansen on X, formerly known as Twitter, TikTok, have a seat with Chris Hansen, Cameo, and as always, on True Blue. T-R-U-B-L-U, watch TrueBlue.com for details. Brand new Predator Investigations, the Takedown series. I'm doing one as we speak, or will be this evening into the wee hours of the morning. Several new documentaries in the works, very exciting. So check that out, watch trueblue.com. And you can always find me right here at chris at predatorpodcast.com. I'll be watching and listening. A Huda Media Production.